Hey everyone, with the iconic Darren Field Day fast approaching, where Euros Hartley's is for the first time principal partner, we thought it was fit to catch up again for an update with Ben McNamara, CEO of CBH, Australia's largest cooperative and a leader in the Australian grain industry. Thanks for having us on, Tim, and uh, congratulations to Euros Hartley's for your partnership with Darren Field Days. Fantastic event and looking forward to getting up there myself. Welcome to Euros Hartley's Finding the Front, where we get to know the people who front some of Western Australia's leading companies, providing you with real insights into the way they think and approach things, both in business and in life. So get the volume adjusted in your car or your headphones sorted and settle in for a great story. Here's your host, Tim Banfield. Welcome everyone to a brand new episode of Euros Hartley's Finding the Front. This episode in light of the Darren Machinery Field Days fast approaching, where Euros Hartley's is the principal partner, we thought it was a great idea to catch up with Ben McNamara, CEO of CBH, for an update. For those of you not familiar, the CBH Group is Australia's largest cooperative and a leader in the Australian grain industry, with operations extending along the value chain from fertiliser to grain storage, handling, transport, marketing and processing. CBH was established way back in 1933. Today, it has around 3,500 grower members and is the only major participant in the Australian grain industry owned by growers. They have more than 100 grain receival sites across Western Australia, four ports, their own rail fleet, a fertiliser business and investments in end processing creating a fully integrated supply chain able to generate value for their grower members along every step. CBH's storage and handling system currently receives and exports around 90% of the Western Australian grain harvest and is regarded as one of the best in the world. So, without further ado, it is a real privilege to have him back on the show. Please make him welcome the CEO of CBH, Mr. Ben McNamara. Benny, welcome back to Euros Hartley's Finding the Front. It's really great to have you back on the show again. It's great to be with you, Banners. Good on you. Look, when we last caught up, it was actually back in January 2022. You're actually episode six of Finding the Front. And at that point, you'd just taken on the role of CEO of CBH, which was a huge role at the time. And A lot has gone on since, you know, you've had some massive harvests to contend with and you've had to make the adjustments and the structural changes within there to try and navigate your way through what has been a fairly challenging but prosperous period for CBH. Before I kick off, I just wouldn't mind you giving a bit of an update on CBH itself. Let's work from the perspective that we've got a lot of listeners online that would love to just get an update from what CBH actually comprises, and then we go from there. Okay, sounds good. So three core parts of our business, storage and handling, marketing and trading, and then a fertiliser distribution business. I'll touch on our investments in a second as well. Our storage and handling business got over 100 upcountry sites. They're every 30 to 40 kilometres. And then we've got four strategic ports dotted along the coastline, biggest of which is in Quinana. I'll talk about the crop size a bit later. Yes, From a marketing and trading business perspective, we buy about half the crop from the Western Australian farmers and then we sell that to our international customers 
Our marketing and trading business is the largest exporter of grain in Australia. And then a growing fertiliser business, so it's doing around about 250,000 tonnes of granular and now liquid fertiliser. We buy that from international suppliers and then distribute it to our members. We've got some investments, as I mentioned, flour milling businesses up in Asia, 10 mills and and also a malting plant. And then we've got a oat milling business here in Australia. So it's got plants in Bordertown, Dimboola in the east and then at Forestfield here in Western Australia. Gee, it rolls off pretty well. It does. So for some of your listeners who may be familiar with Grain Corp, it's a similar business to that. It's probably our best peer. CBH is an iconic business, Australia's largest partnership, agricultural partnership. The episode six that we did back in early 22 was a very insightful look at your life, but also your career and how you got to CBH. The purpose of this is to really reflect on that over the last 18 months. And you've As I mentioned in the intro, you have had some big issues thrown at you through your period, and it's just going to be fantastic for all the listeners across WA to and Australia to just get an insight into these challenges, not only the size of the crops that were coming through, and hats off to rural and agricultural WA for being able to handle the size of the grain output that's occurred over these last couple of years. It's been amazing, and records have been broken. But then how has CBH been able to navigate, as I say, through these challenges and opportunities? So, Benny, I'd like to just start possibly from there and how you have gone about it in the pathway. Yep, sounds good. So, yeah, as you said, challenges, but also opportunities. And I think it's been a fantastic period for agriculture in in Australia and certainly in Western Australia. So just to set the scene for your listeners If we were sitting here two years ago, I would have been talking to you about an average crop of just over 14 million tonnes, and I would have been talking to you about the biggest crop we had of 16.6 million tonnes at that point in time. From an export perspective or outturns perspective, we would ship on average around about 13 million tonnes of grain every year. We would sell some into domestic markets, and the biggest export program we'd had was about 15 million tonnes at that point in time. So you fast forward to today, yes, as you said. Two amazing seasons. So two harvests ago, we received 21.3. The most recent, we received 22.8 million tonnes. So 30% bigger than that previous record and around about 50% bigger than the five-year average leading to that period. Was that, been the biggest in some 90 years since CBH was actually incepted in 1933? Yes, it was. And we've never done back-to-back record crops either. So remarkable to do that during that period of time. And obviously that's benefited out of the hard work of Western Australian farmers, but also a lot of innovation and technology coming to the fore there as well. So an amazing effort by WA growers, but also I think the industry behind it has played a really important role, as well as the weather and the rain gods. Well, yeah, we can applaud them. They have done a great job and we hope they continue. Tell me, with regards to starting out and taking this record grain production on board, there's a lot of improvements and changes that have occurred within CBH over the last 18 to 20 months. Let's go through them in terms of how that has benefited the grower and the opportunity set that it's created for CBH in terms of its output. Yeah. So maybe I'll, to talk a little bit about that, I'll, I'll link it back to our strategy. And I think, yes, these plans are creating value for WA growers, but I think we're in an interesting period and I'll touch on more on that later. 
But everything that we do needs to link back to our strategy. And that was one of the first things that, uh, that I focused on with our board. And we spent a lot of time talking about strategic direction. We obviously, like all organisations, had a strategy in place, but it was generally shorter term in nature. And strategies can tend to be as complicated or as simple as, as you make them. And in consultation with our board, we decided that we wanted a longer term strategy that was really simple to explain to our people and addressed some of our key challenges and opportunities. And so our strategy is really clear on our purpose, uh, which is to sustainably create and return value for WA growers. And our beneficiary was another critical point as a cooperative that we were very focused on. And this is defined as our current and future WA grain growers. The future aspect is a really important one because we're as custodians of the assets, we need to make sure that we're leaving it better than what we found it very similar to the way our growers think about their farming operations. When you look at the size of the crops or the grain receival that was occurring over the last couple of years, that pathway to strategy would include facilities, transport, shipping, port capacity, those sorts of things. And I know when you started, there was a challenge. And, and I, I know not to jump in, but that was a real issue at the time. Yeah, it certainly is. And so one of uh, the three strategic objectives we've got is to be able to receive and handle an average 22 million tonne crop. And we want to be able to ship 70% of that in the front half of the year. Where were you before that? So our averages I mentioned earlier, roughly 14. Today it's 17. We've set that longer term target of 22 million tonnes by 2033. So mm-hmm. that's a decade away the centenary of the co-op and that sort of longevity aspect that we're contemplating. And then the next piece that we're really focused on is not just receiving the crop, but actually being able to outturn. So the numbers that I rattled off before, the receivables that we've had into the system far exceeded our historical shipping capacity. So historically, we would talk about shipping of around about 1.6 million tonnes of grain per month out of the four ports in total. And this strategy targets 3 million tonnes by 2033 broken it down into into some horizons through that period our first is targeted two million tons the second is two and a half and three by 33. this year we have exceeded that target once and generally in the front half of the year we've shipped about 1.8 1.9 million tons which is an amazing effort each and every month was a record wow (laughs) so when you'd have to cater for that amount i mean these records Tell us a little bit about what goes in behind the scenes. Clearly, there's a lot of people working a lot of hours and the infrastructure has to to stack up. Yeah, spot on. So our supply chain relies on our frontline staff. It relies on suppliers, so both road and rail contractors. And there's a lot of thought that needs to go into how we actually organise that from a central perspective as well. So it's been really pleasing to see how this has played out. Last year, we we ship record tons of 16.7 this year we'll go somewhere between 19 and 20 million tons of shipping which is an amazing effort given where we've come from how have we achieved that so bringing on many more road contractors that comes down to a critically to a rate perspective from a rail perspective we swapped uh, rail providers from Watco to Horizon and Horizon bought uh, three additional fleets so we went from 10 fleets to 13 so a 30% uplift there and that certainly assisted And we've seen month-on-month rail records as well through better performance there. So you add all of these small winds up banners and uh, and you tend to see supply chain enhancements. But it has, over the last 
18 months, it's relied on on the goodwill of our frontline teams and also our contractors. Our strategy is about making sure that this is sustainable month on month. And that means we need the infrastructure doing the heavy lifting. The staff at peak within CBH gets to about 1,800, correct? So through the year, we would say we've got about 1,400 employees. Right. During harvest, that's where the number 1,800 is coming from. So we're historically, we've... We've employed about 1,500 harvest casuals. Uh, the last couple of harvests, given the size and magnitude of those, it's about 2,000. Right. Um, and to get 2,000 people to work for us, obviously we've run different campaigns. We need about 4,000 applications. And what's been really pleasing is we've been able to get those over the last couple of years, which shows the appetite to work in agriculture and go out and, and have some of these life experiences that many people talk to me about. Just quickly, for those who would consider a, a job on the wheat bins, Tell us a little bit about it. I mean, a great experience, as you say. Yep. So you're, uh, you're living in accommodation on site generally. Probably a couple of key tasks. One is in the, in the receival shed. So that's being able to sample grain. Truck driver comes in, you take a sample and you work through the different requirements that we've got to segregate that. We also have Weybridge assistance. So it says what it does on the packet. And then obviously we have lots of people that need to work on grids. So each and every grid, we'll, we'll have uh, someone stationed at that to be able to receive uh, the growers' grain. I think then it goes into the experience that people get out of it. So yeah. um, working as part of a team, leadership as people sort of come back year to year, and then that consultation and, and building relationships with growers throughout the state. So I think it's, it's a fantastic piece for people to do, and, and it's remarkable how many people come up to me and tell me about how the, their experience of working on the bins and what it did for them in, in their later life and as part of their career. So, yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a rite of passage in Western <laughs> Australia. So strongly encourage well, people I mean, to go and apply. you got 4,000 applications. It's clearly popular. It certainly is, yep. Yeah. yep. And it pays well during that uh, uni holidays period. Certainly has put a fair few people through, uh, through their university degrees over time. <laughs> so, Ben, just, I want to just come back a little bit to when you talk about increasing the facility or the infrastructure within CBH. So let's just start with the necessaries like trucking and transport, so rail. I noticed, for example, at the end of last harvest, you had to advertise for other farmers who wanted to partake in shifting more grain because you didn't have enough transport to do it through the CBH network. How was that received as an opportunity for the farmers or you know, generally within CBH as a method of moving grain? So what you see in the ag industry is when you put the call out for help, generally it comes. And uh, certainly that's what we've seen over the last couple of years. So historically, we've seen around 60 to 70% of our grain go via rail. In the last 12 months, it's actually been more like 60% by road and 40% by rail. And so what this says to us is we need to improve our rail capacity. And so a few things that we've been doing here is Firstly, rolling stock. So we've recently placed the order for essentially to double our fleet of locomotives and, and wagons. The other piece that we've been working on for a number of years is also enhancing the railway lines, the efficiency of the railway lines. So this is rail siding, so lengthening those and improving the, our ability to load rail. So pleasingly, we, through consultation with our state and federal government, we received $200 million as part of what's called the ASCII package of funding. This is the first package. There's a number of key priority projects. Just for the listener, ASCII stands for? 
agricultural supply chain initiative. Yeah. So yeah, 160 odd million from the federal government, 40 from our state government here. And the first project is out at Brookton. We're working our way through a project down in Broome Hill. Others to follow will be in Mora, Cranbrook, Connagoring, Darren, and, and the list goes on. The Brookton one's just recently completed. The Brookton one's just completed from yeah. a rail perspective, and then we'll have some loading infrastructure going up there in due course as well. So this increase in the rail infrastructure and capacity is part of that pathway 2033. That's right. So everything we do links back to our path to 33 strategy. And so the additional rolling stock closes the gap between what we're doing currently at that sort of 1.6 million tonnes sustainably to the 3 million tonne target that we've set. And then the rail projects close the gap as well. So critical area of focus. So it's really what we're focused on at the moment is getting grain from our country sites to our ports more efficiently. And then as we move into uh, the, the third horizon, that's when our bottlenecks will move to our ports. Okay. For example, during this 18 months that you've been in charge, CBH entered into agreements to buy 17 narrow-gauge locomotives. That's a lot of trains. That is, yeah. So who goes out and prices up the trains? So we've run a process for around about 12 months. Um, So 17 narrow gauge and and another seven standard gauge, along with 650 wagons, which are coming from China. That task is is a lot harder than what it says on the label. And the reason why is here in Western Australia, we have narrow gauge and standard gauge, just the width of the the lines. But we also... Is a typical wheat belt railway line narrow gauge or standard gauge? uh, So the line that runs from... Basically, from Midland to Kalgoorlie is standard gauge. The remainder of the lines are narrow gauge. Right, okay. There's some exceptions to that. The next complexity is the narrow gauge actually has different axle limits imposed on the network. So we have 16 tonne, 19 tonne, 21 tonne axle limits. And so one of the big challenges we faced with the locomotives was actually finding a loco which was light enough to run on our tracks we eventually found a, a supplier which is supplying locomotives all the way around the world, but in the US, which is where I've been recently. So they're, they're due for arrival imminently, aren't they? So they'll come over the next couple of years. It's a bit like ordering a land cruiser at the moment. Right. So uh, they'll phase over the next couple of years along with the wagons as well. So, you know, with supply chains the way they are, things are taking a little longer. It's interesting in, in the US, one of the providers that we've got manufacturing these for us, around 70 to 75% of their uh, manufacturing is actually going to, is focused on Australia at the moment. And this probably highlights some of the supply chain investment that's happening throughout Australia. So Ben, when we talk about trucking versus rail, 60% truck, 40% rail, but you envisage by 2033, where will that percentage sit? Yeah, we want 60 to 70% of our movement to occur on rail. Okay. One, it's more efficient. Two, it's got a, a more sustainable outcome from both an emissions perspective, but also the impact on some of our communities as well. So, yeah, we want to see a lot more freight taking place on rail than, than what we're seeing today. Do you envisage the expenditure on new trains to expand as well? I think as we move towards the back end of our strategy period, yeah, we'll probably see a, an additional investment in, uh, in rail infrastructure. That also contemplates our existing fleet, which is now 13 or 14 years old. So we'll have a replenishment profile there as well. Yes, okay. So that's the rail side and we've talked about trucking. I'd just like to cover off on the port side. 
So clearly you get this record grain crops and you bring them in. The port's not ready for the same level of grain that you've got to bring through. How have you had to adjust the port capacities in getting it out? So our port capacity is not the bottleneck at this current point in time. Really, it's about getting the grain to our ports. And so that's why the road capacity has been really important over the last 18 months. Rail capacity, rail tonnages into our ports has also increased, as I said, due to the 30% increase in the fleet that we've got as well. That would have been a really challenging point, though, at the time when you had all this grain and, and what were you going to do with it? Did it cause some stress? It certainly caused some stress within the business, but I think also really mindful for the impact on WA grain growers as well. So when you think about 23-odd million tonnes in the system and previous record of 16.7 million tonnes shipped, obviously Mm. the perception of carryover creates concern. That obviously then gets starts to get priced in as almost like an overhang that you would think about from a listed perspective. So Lifting the shipping capacity was really important for the value of the Western Australian grain crop. At the same time that this has been happening, obviously in the Ukraine we've seen um, the crisis that's unfolding there. Less grain's been shipped out of that part of the world, which has obviously turned the focus of more towards Australia. And so grain prices have increased and what's been important is being able to pass those prices back onto Western Australian grain growers. Without the shipping capacity, that's very difficult to do. And so we've definitely seen some challenges in that regard this year, which again links back to the strategy around why it's so important to lift our shipping capacity to 3 million tonnes by 2033. Thanks, Benny. That's really interesting. I noticed with regards to shipping while we're on that topic that CBH joined the Blue Visby project, which I thought was very interesting around that sustainability and the whole idea that, sail fast then wait approach to shipping and I, I quote unquote sail fast then wait can you just give us a bit of an insight into the idea of getting involved with the blue bisbee project yeah well when we look at our carbon emissions shipping is a key component so this is an area of focus for us as a business to be able to pass those benefits through to our to our end customers and to wa growers so yeah working with this project is enabled us to get more insights into some of the things that we can be doing to reduce our carbon emissions. I think, Ben, as if I go back a bit here, um, this forms part of a a sustainability plan that we released last year. Again, one of those key foundational aspects that we put in place to be able to structure the business up. And so we've got five pillars in our sustainability plan. The two that are really critical for this discussion is around markets and also from an environment perspective. On the markets front, what we're seeing is different expectations from our customers and end users. Sustainably produced food is something that's becoming more and more important, as is uh, low carbon emission products. So we've done a lot of work in that space from a markets perspective, around 25% of the grain that we sell now is uh, sustainably certified. On the environment side, We've set two targets internally. The first is scope one and two emissions, so a 50% reduction in that by 2030. And the second one is a carbon neutral by 2050. It looks at scope one, two and three from our sites to our customers. When we look at that component, the shipping leg is very important um, yes. given the, the proximity to our, uh, to our international customers. Benny, just to continue on, With regards to the marketing and trading side of CBH, since you've become CEO, how have you seen the market pricing unfold? 
Well, this is probably mirrored other commodities, and we've seen a lot of uh, volatility given the geopolitical environment that we've been playing with. So what's happening in Ukraine and Russia, what's happening in China, and then obviously there's been a food security aspect taking place here as well with some protectionist activities from various governments around the world. So we've seen grain prices at record highs, which mirrors what you're seeing with other commodity prices or other commodities, and then we've tended to see over the last little period grain prices starting to track sideways or or slightly down. I think over the most recent harvest, the other aspect that's been at play here is is the crop sizes exceeded the supply chain capacity. And so that's had a perverse outcome when we look at the supply and demand fundamentals here in Western Australia. And we've, uh, we've sought to address that through adding additional capacity as we've been talking about. Yes, yes, okay. And then we're also seeing some changes around global flows with things like canola, given production in the Northern Hemisphere, and also some of the, uh, the carbon targets that have been set in the US as an example. If we go into barley as an example, you know, a lot of our barley over the last couple of years has gone into the Middle East and particularly into Saudi. And uh, as you would have seen recently, the uh, tariffs have been uh, lifted from China and, uh, and the ban on CBH grain uh, exporting into China has been lifted, which is, which is really critical for us, but also critical for, uh, for us getting value to WA grain growers. That's fantastic news. It really is fantastic news. Yeah, very recently we've just been added to, uh, back to the exporters list. I think what this demonstrates is uh, some of the strong work that our government has done over the last 18 or so months, bringing that trade back on and strengthening that relationship, which is a really important one for Australian farmers. Yeah, I think they've done a a good job in this area and uh, it's really pleasing to see ourselves back on that list. With regards to what you're saying, if we, we just go back a step and you talk about the strategy and we've gone through some of the pivotal points around rail, truck, ports, sustainability and your environmental positioning we talked about prices and and the markets tell us a little bit about what's going on around the world now i do know you've just come back from a trip into the u.s which was recently in june and you looked at what the rest of the world was doing and and things like automation and what is going on and, and best practice what did you find out and what did you learn yeah, so in the US are, are big exporters of grain, corn, soya and wheat. And what we want to do is go and have a look at some other supply chains which um, export grain and see how we compared to what we're seeing in other parts of the world. We've got customers that also operate in the US and we also took the opportunity to go and, and attend a, a conference around technology and visit our rail manufacturers over in the US. So it was, it was a great trip. But what was really interesting is going to New Orleans, which is the bottom of the Mississippi, an amazing amount of produce operates up and down the Mississippi. So fertiliser up, grain down, and some of the largest grain terminals in the world are based in New Orleans and had a good look at some of their infrastructure. As I mentioned, we think that our bottleneck will start to move to our ports and some of the critical things that we were looking over there at was ship loaders, which become more and more efficient and more and more necessary for us as we move forward. And what did you see in in the terms of automation? Was shiploaders the key point, or are they are they using automated trucks yet, or automated rail? Yeah, so yes, in a in a rail perspective, the conference that we went and spoke at was really around automation from a trucking perspective. So the mining sector has done a really good job on automating in pits, and as an example, 
We have a similar requirement. We move grain from bulkheads into a grid for a rail loading position. Today, they're fully manned. We think there's an opportunity to automate those, and we're working with a company here in Western Australia as, as a presence in the US to do a proof of concept, and we'll be undertaking that later this year. Did you feel like the US were ahead of the game or that we were positioned quite well? Well, the mining sector is doing an amazing job of adopting automation. Yes. But in the ag sector, I think we do it reasonably well as well. Since the mid-90s, we've had tractors going up and down paddocks in a semi-autonomous fashion. So um, growers are starting to work through how we make those fully autonomous. And so I think agriculture is a fast adopter of this as well. On that point, in terms of tech and what's going forward, how is the grain being improved? You know, in terms of the quality of the grain and the type of grain being seeded and the technology around the seeding pattern so that the growing is as successful as it can be. Yeah, I think that's a, a fascinating question because if we look at those crop sizes I talked about, one of the reasons why the crop sizes increased is the investment in seed technology. Yes. Here in Western Australia, we have a company called Intergrain, which is partly owned by the state government and a grains research body. And they continue to develop new, particularly barley varieties, which are high yielding and better from a uh, from a malting perspective for our beers, banners. And recently they've launched a, uh, a new variety, which is, has a 10% yield uplift on the previous grain varieties. So that means that we've got more Did prof- you say 10%? 10% uplift, which is what is driving the bigger crop but I think it also improves the viability of Western Australian grain farmers as well. So that's a key reason of why we need to be able to handle these bigger tasks by receiving the grain, but also outturning it. That is fascinating. The other leg that we haven't talked about with regards to CBH and what's occurred over the last 18 months, which is, has been pivotal, has been the opening of the new Kunana fertiliser facility. Okay? Now, fertiliser clearly has an important role to play in agriculture. It does come back also to the question around rising input costs for the farmers as well. So could you just give us a bit of an insight into what the, the end game is with CBH around fertiliser? And, you know, you're looking to grow that side of the business. I know you have the, with this new facility, you've got the capacity to store 32,000 tonnes of liquid urea ammonium nitrate and 55,000 tonnes of bulk granular fertiliser. How's that going to play out? Yeah, so as part of our strategy, this is one of the three objectives. We want a 15% market share in the FERT space. And as the and currently, where are you sitting? We're just under 10% right. today. And that FERT plant that you've just talked about helps take us on that journey. That facility is our first foray into, uh, into being able to receive an outturn liquid fertiliser as well, which is a really important ingredient for WA fa- uh, grain farmers. So, yeah, we want to continue to play in that space. We want to provide good transparency and visibility on pricing for Western Australian grain growers, and we want, we want to be able to enable them to use this technology that's available. We can then leverage the supply chain that we've got. We've got a liquid berth down at Quinana Grain Terminal where we can receive the, the liquid fertiliser, which obviously provides those efficiencies for WA grain growers, and we can pass those benefits through. The next aspect is also... When we talk about that sustainability plan, fertiliser is a key aspect in terms of the carbon. And so this enables and puts us at the forefront of being able to drive down carbon footprint from a grain growing perspective. Fertiliser got amazingly expensive. I'm just trying to put some context around that for the 
the user of that fertilizer yep. and why yep. the cost was so much. Yeah, so if you look at it from a grain grower's perspective, yes, grain prices went up considerably, but input costs went up considerably as well. So, you know, we might look at a, a ton of, of urea at sort of historically 450-odd tonnes. It got in excess of $1,000 a tonne for a period of time. It's normalised back down sort of in the 600s. What drove that is obviously Ukraine and Russia are big producers of fertiliser, China, also banned exports of fertiliser for a period of time as well to reserve their stocks for, for local demand. So we had a number of different things playing out in the input space. Chemical prices did the same thing and then obviously growers are dealing with higher wages as well. So their cost structure has gone up considerably. Margins have probably stayed relatively flat through that period. Sure. Okay. But with commodities coming off a little bit, when you look at the CBH fertiliser offering... Is that something that you can see foreseeably that it's sort of going to level out a little bit now? It's a hard game to predict that one in the fertiliser space, but really what we're about is providing transparency to WA growers sure. on what pricing should be when we're sourcing that from international suppliers. So, yeah, it's an important one of providing transparency and uh, ensuring we've got a competitive market in that space here in WA. Thanks for sharing that. It's really just good to understand. When we look at the CBH business now going forward, here we are in 2023. If we were to roll out that strategy, the 10-year plan out to 2033, so the pathway to 2033, what are the sort of goals with over the next 10 years that we could identify for the listener that you want to meet? Yeah, so I'll, I'll link it back to the strategy. So we want to be able to ship a maximum of 3 million tonnes per month in the front half of the year by 2033. Yep. We want to be able to receive a crop of around 22 million tonnes on average. We think the crop might be 28 to 30 million tonnes by that stage, so having the receivable capacity to handle that. Just to pause there, at the risk of re-going over some old ground but on the strategy, but that increase from 22 million tonnes to 28 to 30 million tonnes over that period of time will be because of? I think the seed technology aspect is a really key part of this. I think the agronomic practices applied by fantastic farmers in Western Australia and I think we'll continue to see an improvement in the equipment that farmers are using here in WA as well. I think hectares will stay relatively the same. Okay, yeah, thanks. Yeah, so that's the first uh, aspect. I think the second one is being able to export 50% of the or being able to trade 50% of the Western Australian crop to international customers. This is through our marketing and trading business and that means you've got to have the people, process, systems, funding, risk limits to be able to do that. And then the third aspect is having a 15% market share in the FERT space. So those are the three critical aspects that, that uh, we'll focus on over the, over the next period. Just fantastic. And then with the introduction of automation where you can. Yeah, so if those are our strategic objectives that I've just talked through, I think then how do you enable that? There's three key pieces. Firstly, it's around people. Second one's the technology enablement. And then the third one is around the infrastructure and assets that we're deploying through our network. So technology will be a really critical aspect and it then couples in with providing our people with better information to get more out of our existing infrastructure. Excellent. So this has been just fantastic, Benny. Really good insights. Look, as you know, just to move left field a little bit, Euros Hartley's this year is the principal partner of the Darren Field Days. As both of us are country boys, growing up, we both have experienced the Darren Field Days. It's, it's an iconic event, isn't it? 
It certainly is. I can remember going there as a kid myself, and yeah, it's a great day out. <laughs> CBH gets right behind it. You've got a tent this year. We do. I think it's fantastic that Euros Hartleys is involved. It's a, it is a fantastic event. It's a great opportunity to go and mingle with many of the industry players and also you know, plenty of growers out there that are willing to have a conversation. And it's great to also see some of the other exhibitors, what they've got on show and, and some of the things we, we're talking about on this program today, you get to go and see them in real time. Absolutely. They've got 500 plus exhibitors this year, which is just sold out very quickly. And it's looking like it's going to be enormous. I think last year they had something like over 20,000 attendees. So it's an, it's an enormous event. But Euros Hartley is very, very proud to be the principal partner. We've got our site on Site 42 at the Oval, not far away from CBH, I remember from last year. Yep, we'll be just down the track. But uh, <laughs> I think the number of exhibitors and also the number of people going out there just demonstrates the vibrancy that's taking place in the ag sector at the moment. It's a great place to be to be at the moment it's a great sector to be involved in. Yeah, yeah, look, absolutely. We can't wait. August 30 and 31 out at Darren. So uh, looking forward to seeing everyone there. If, if you can, don't hesitate, particularly the Finding the Front listeners. If you want to come through and have a chat, please, please don't hesitate. We'd love to see you. In fact, anyone who wants to come in and uh, introduce themselves to us. Benny, without spending too much time on other things, but it's been a great insight, but how's life outside of that going? You, you're flat out with junior footy and, and those sorts of things? Certainly, yeah. Love, uh, love getting involved in, um, in the pursuits of my kids. And I think as a CEO, that's something that you, you just need to make sure you're focused on, given uh, the amount of travel and things that happen outside of work. Look, Benny, on behalf of Euros Hartley's Finding the Front and all of us, the listeners included, thanks a lot for taking time out of your busy schedule. I do know you're flat out and you've got a lot on your plate at the moment, but the fact you can come in and give the Finding the Front listeners an update is just fantastic. And we do look forward to more of them as we go ahead. So thanks again for coming along. Thanks for having us on, Tim, and uh, look forward to seeing some of your listeners out of Darren. Good on you. Thanks Cheers, a lot, mate. mate. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Euros Harley's Finding the Front. This podcast is for general information purposes only. Please check out eurosharleys.com for more information. Euros Harley's holds Australian Financial Services Licence 230052.